Hello my little cardboard connoisseurs, this is Richard here, just uh, making you aware in case it isn't obvious that the views um, expressed by Matt Jarvis on this episode of We Are Not Wizards, they're his own, they don't represent that of either Tabletop Gaming Magazine or the Warners Group, uh, just so we're 100% clear. So sit back, uh, tune in and I hope you enjoy the show. Another episode of We Are Not Wizards. Uh, this is a special show, and the title of the show is going to be called From Cardboard to Shiny Paper. Now, I know why it's called that, and you will know why it's called that, because joining me this evening is a gentleman by the name of Matt Jarvis. Now, for those who enjoy the hobby and like to find out as much what's going on in the hobby in terms of news and reviews, but like it to be written down and printed as well as on a website, Matt Jarvis is the editor of Tabletop Gaming Magazine, so I'm super, super excited to have him here. So hello, Matt. How are you? Hey, Richard. I'm all right, thanks. How's it going? Very, very good indeed. Thanks for having me on. It's um, It's a delight. I mean, we've had... This is episode 51 so we thought well we've done our first 50 so if we're going to start the next kind of half century we better kind of start off with somebody rather special so uh see that's a good way of putting it it's like not <laughs> not the big 50 but just the, afterwards well i kind of <laughs> thought you know what see where we put the episode with frank i thought do i wait do i wait and and me and frank had such a good you know we had such a laugh and i'm not saying we're not going to have a laugh I'm just talking myself into a hole as we speak. But no, I thought, no, let's I take, start. no offense. I'll, I'll take 51. Normally, you know, I'm much lower down than that. So 51's grand. There you go. There you go. Um, for people that haven't uh, listened to the show before, the reason that we do this is because there's not enough podcasts out there about board games. I have scoured iTunes to find them, and I can't find them. So that means there's no need for you to scour them. For... I guess to get started, um, do you want to tell some people about kind of your history with a hobby, kind of how you got into board games kind of in the first place? Uh, blimey. Uh, I, okay, I guess, I mean, not to go crazy on you, but I guess it, like most people, it started when I was a kid. I mean, um, I was an obsessive collector of Warhammer, uh, particularly I collected Tomb Kings for a long time. Then I moved on to the Lord of the Rings Warhammer uh, once those films came out and so on. I think I subscribed to a magazine and you got like a model every month or so on one of those horrifically expensive <laughs> magazines where it's like £5 for the first issue and then 15 quid uh, every time afterwards. And it's so for like the this... next 100 years or something like that. So oh, you... <laughs> yeah. And I think when I was 18 or something, I went into the garage and just found sprues and sprues of just unpainted sort of Gondor knights. Uh, and felt incredibly bad for my parents. Um, but yeah, so it, it all started when I was a kid with Warhammer collecting. I was, well, strangely enough, I didn't play them as much. I never played miniature mm. games as much as I liked to paint them. Um, 
I played them, but often in sort of uh, simplified forms, I guess, because I was quite young at the time. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot going on. Um, but, but I really enjoyed painting. I, actually, when I applied for this job, one of the first things I put in my covering letter was that I'd won my middle school Warhammer painting competition because <laughs> I figured that was that was as good an accolade as any to put on there, really. That was a good, um, a good start. First of all, yeah, yeah. let me tell you how much I'm into gaming. I won a prize at middle school. <laughs> and I bet you they went, no, get him in. He's interview material. We've got they did bring it, it up in my interview. They they brought it up. Did they? Yeah. Well, there you go. Did they? I take it. Did they? They didn't actually ask you to see, kind of, see any models then for proof. Oh no, no. I think those models are long gone. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, fortunately, they never asked about my gluing capability because I was terrible <laughs> at gluing stuff together. I had a catapult that I got for Christmas, right. and it just stayed in bits for about well, for like eight years or so. Because uh-huh. every time I tried to super glue it together, it fell apart again immediately. Uh, it's, no, I was but, just wondering about the job thing If they maybe did kind of put you in a room And say, okay, if you're this good, then paint that Because you know what they're like with checking references Maybe they decided to put you Kind of under a little kind Just of like a speed, <laughs> speed kind of painting a, test Yeah, it's like if you ever go If you ever went to a recruitment agency when you were younger They did like, let's see you what your word per minute score is <laughs> <laughs> So they said, okay You've got an orc, you've got a goblin um, You've got an elf here You've got a barbarian um, here's your colour choices. Which ones are you going for and why? Um, um, the green... Show us your basing. Show us your washing. <laughs> exactly. And you walk out saying, well, how did you do? Rubbish. Why? I went pink for the bar... I went pink for the <laughs> goblin. I just knew the green was sitting there and I thought my green, but then I second-guessed myself and I went for the pink instead for the goblin. So I just mucked it up. Nothing wrong with pink. There was a... I think on eBay, there was a, a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago now, there was a a My Little Pony custom Warhammer 40k <laughs> army that was all pink and had bits of My Little Pony stuck to tanks and oh. Space Marines and all sorts. It looked incredible. I mean, it was a it was an amazing job. I think uh, when you get to that level, was it? There's a special name for people that like um, My Little Pony. I think you're called Bronies. 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 Yes, that's an entirely different conversation. Potentially different conversation. for an entirely different podcast as well. Um, now moving on you obviously started your painting so when did you kind of flip into the kind of the cardboard side of things or did you stick with miniatures so i sort of was into miniatures probably into my sort of early teenage years and then i guess with school and university and so on i slipped out of the hobby completely sort of the tabletop hobby yeah um i obviously played board games here and there but they were more your traditional style I probably dabbled in Catan and whatnot uh-huh. every now and then. Um, and it was actually, I think, one of my first years at university. I had some friends over to watch WrestleMania, uh, obviously the WWE wrestling event, and to fill the time before it was on, because it was on at stupid o'clock in the morning over here, sort of like one, two-ish or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we swung by Waterstones, of all places, uh, because that was sort of the equivalent of a tabletop game shop in Canterbury. Yeah. Um and we picked up Catan, uh we picked up Carcassonne. Yeah. Um I can't remember if we picked up something else, but we definitely picked up those two. And then we spent the next sort of like six hours playing them. And obviously, you know, nowadays people sort of look at Catan and Carcassonne with this sort of weary eye of like, Oh yeah, of course everybody's played those. But you know, they they earned that legacy because they are such fantastic gateway games. They they do capture a lot of what is so great about tabletop gaming um, and make it easy. Um, and then from there, 
you know was that it (laughs) that was it for you you just kept yeah so i then sort of shot up to the the harder end of the scale i think one of my purchases not long after that was eclipse uh with the first expansion included i brought it off ebay to account for the fact that it was quite expensive and i was still on student uh sort of wages at the time (laughs) well work for cardboard (laughs) kind of thing exactly uh so yeah we dived into eclipse and i think our first game took us about eight hours or something and yeah yeah i mean um, um frank west that was on the show um the the last show um he's a massive eclipse fan and he says that he does like regularly kind of 11 hour sessions where they just have food and then people just dive in and kind of dive in and out the game and take turns and it can take basically kind of kind of half a day so but that sounds like a fairly that's a fairly heavy level to kind of dive into. Yeah, I think it was one of those things where I read up about it and mm. because I was still coming back into the tabletop world of things, you know, I didn't really have this concept of what was heavy, what was light. Yeah. So I just saw it and thought, that looks really cool. I like spaceships. I like strategy. Let's go for that. Yeah. And so I mean, and so we did. And eight hours later, we were incredibly sort of fulfilled by it all, but... <laughs> sort of like wow this is a bit of a change from you know carcassonne it's massive in terms of what you know you get something like that and it's like huge and then you're thinking well average playtime what's you know what's what's kind of average playtime and then basically you're spending almost like a, the same length of time you would spend at your job during a day <laughs> kind of moving little chitties about and deciding strategies and stuff like that so it's kind of you know that's kind of kind of cool i mean where did you go from there i mean I sort of dived off for a while into the the RPG side of things yeah. for quite for quite a couple of years, I guess. Um, we had a regular Pathfinder group, uh-huh. um, and we would obviously once we'd completed sort of the starter box and moved on to the the main book and so on, we started constructing our own, our own campaigns. Uh, we sort of played around with D and D for a little bit. Um, Fiasco, I mean, sort of an RPG, sort of not, but all of that stuff so it was just sort of this exploration of the whole tabletop world i mean in the background there was always things like cards against humanity you know the really light end of the scale um that was going on at the time but it was just this case of i'd rediscovered this hobby that i was completely enamored by and was just like i want to try everything so (laughs) i was just trying everything that came my way like betrayal at house on the hill yeah uh, which continues to be like a big favorite i know it's completely unbalanced uh, and some people hate it for that. I sort of love it for that. I mean, like, it's completely bonkers and you just sort of have to go along for the ride. But yeah, Betrayal's are like a solid favourite. Um, Blimey Ticket to Ride is another one that I picked up quite early on. Um, and just really, for several months, I was obsessed with Ticket to Ride. I would play like like 10 games a day, um, but partly mainly because i had the digital version um so i would just continually play <laughs> just, digital yeah. matches of ticket to ride i was just obsessed with it you just like um, disappear for an hour or something like that just gonna say right um, anyone else want a cup of tea uh, and then they'd find you two and a half lo- hours later in the kitchen and you've not even clicked the kettle down because you're just like saying one more carriage one more like, carriage <laughs> Gotta get to like I've gotta get across the map. Like, <laughs> just one, come on, I'm... you just don't understand. I've got all these tickets. <laughs> I've got a block player one seven eight six. That's the third time he's beat me. You don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and from from there it just sort of snowballed. I guess. I mean, 
obviously as i then i then got a job having left university and then had a bit more free cash so my games collection started expanding um and expanding and expanding i'm trying to think back how many I mean, games have you got i mean i've tried to keep it under control obviously having now working at this job i end up with quite a few um in my possession but yeah. i have one of those beds that lifts up like an ottoman oh my goodness. um so we've limited uh the game collection to fit under that bed um which it does just at the moment it used to be <laughs> the old classic ikea calic shelves and they were quickly overcome yeah um and then games flooded onto my room and i had a, a literal wall of games at one point it was like bricked in i had to organize them so that it became a solid mass were you like one of the um, guys you see in the videos where they do the videos and go hi <laughs> and they've got like the solid mass of every single game yeah it's sort of like seen. the iron throne from game of thrones but instead <laughs> of swords just games at one point uh, when I joined uh, Tabletop Gaming, the magazine, and we needed to take a picture, I had a serious thought about building a literal throne Just and sitting in it, and then thought, that's really, really pompous and, like, overblown, no. but would be kind of funny and ridiculous at the same time. That but... would be kind of very, very awesome, wouldn't it? Unless, of course, you did, like, um, you did, like, a kind of a lying on the bed on top of lots of board games kind of like in that um was it that kevin spacey film oh god like american beauty <laughs> american like beauty, nude yeah. <laughs> just like you lie, <laughs> just you like lying there with a kind of a couple of you know a katan and maybe a couple just, of cars yeah. just <laughs> car a copy of pandemic <laughs> like pandemic. blocking out my genitals <laughs> watch out for bad viruses right here <laughs> oh, jesus <laughs> that would have made an interesting photo in fact maybe that's a cover for a future magazine. A cover, a spread. <laughs> we could start page three of tabletop gaming. Oh, I don't know how that would go down. I don't know. I think, you know, you've got to expand into these things and take some risks. And when you're involved in the world of um, publishing and... <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, if that happens, then obviously I, I want... Um, I don't want credited for that. I'm going to be. Brutal. Going to <laughs> I don't be think brutal. anyone would I'm want going to credit be for that. Honest. This isn't. This isn't Chris Clue talking about his um, his football boot, his football juicy boot anymore. I want nothing to do with this. <laughs> you know, you could put. We could get a logo and we could put it in the corner, as potentially discussed on a podcast on We're Not Wizards. We present. <laughs> the Matt Jarvis American Beauty board game cover. So you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Um, does that mean, I mean, does that mean that you, you regularly kind of culling the games that you have? Because it's interesting that you don't, you're all, you're all, you're kind of almost judging games by their volume as opposed to maybe by their, their likability. Is that not the case? Um, in, t in terms of the ones I keep, you Yeah, mean? in terms of the ones that have to fit under the bed. Because I mean... Uh, well, I mean, the, the bed's a big old space, but they're obviously, they're a clear... Um, you know, if something's really big, for instance, at the moment under there, one of the most recent additions is the deluxe edition of Vinhos, wow. uh, which I, is just amazing, but it's huge. Um, and Mechs versus Minions, also a massive, massive box. Um, so there's been like a run of really big boxes that we've had to squeeze under there and sort of had to rearrange everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I mean, it, I wouldn't. I think the problem is if there were they if there were games that I absolutely loved, I would find an excuse. I'm sort <laughs> of like a notorious hoarder. I own like a thousand DVDs that I have been oh told not to bring. Uh, we've recently moved house, so uh, my partner told me you cannot bring those. 
this is the amount you're allowed to have this is your space that you have which i need because otherwise it will just be chaos i think you know potentially um you know you could use mechs versus minions as a small guest bed because it it is some size we recently got a cat and the cat's been using it been using the top lid uh as a, as a bed, well, that's... which is helped by the fact that Max versus Minions is fantastic. So it's been open <laughs> quite a lot. So the cat has sort of helpfully taken up the lid as its own. Is is the cat kind of forcing you? It's like, well, what will we play tonight? And the cat's like kind of gently coming over to you and looking at you and just, you know, points and says, well... That's it. It's like Paul the Octopus. Just sort of, <laughs> we go, what should we play? And the cat goes and sits on a box and makes a meow. And we're going, oh, okay. Seriously, the cat... Well, I'm not surprised because I, I, know, I know of cats before that would, you know, just sit in front of a cupboard when they want fed and start meowing until, you know, they, they get what they want. So, I mean, you've now got a board game cat. Um, yes, yeah. Well, that's fun. That's kind of fantastic. You've um, you've obviously you've just dropped in kind of Vinhos and and mechs and mechs and minions. Are there games kind of at the moment kind of floating your boat that you you play on a regular basis just now? So it's a weird one. Again, uh, before I before I took up this job, it was one of those things where games obviously quite expensive and. Yeah you sort of dedicate yourself to a small collection or a smallish collection of games. Yeah. I think most people, um, but obviously with this job, I'm now having to move from game to game to game uh, in order to, to cover them, in order to understand what's coming out and what's grabbing other people's interest. Um, so I suppose it's it's obviously a massive perk. I'm by no means like don't think that I'm trying to knock it, um, being able to have this amazing opportunity. But at the same time, you know, you're, you don't often get to spend as much time with a few games as perhaps you'd like to. Um, no, I understand so... completely because it's when it's a de- when it's a deadline, and I mean um, when it's a deadline, and you have to get something right. You've got to write about something and produce some actual content for it at the same time. It's not just a case of you know a lot of well no, there are board game content that is quite simply. Let me show. Let me show you what's inside the box, and then you get the brilliant kind of um, instructional videos, which say, "Okay, well, let's let's show you how to kind of kind of play it." Reviewing is a different thing altogether because if you on board games, if you rev- if you don't get enough time with it, if you get one bad experience, it can really really kind of put you against kind of playing it again and again and again. So I know where you're coming from. Do you, do you, yeah. Do you do you have like um. Do you have like a set routine for when you're kind of doing these features and reviews? Have you got it kind of down pat onto um, kind of how you'll go about looking at a new game? So I I tend to play with the same group. I have a quite a close group of friends yeah. um, who I played board games with before, um, but also because we, we're then all in the same rhythm and because we all have quite different tastes. Uh, there are people in there who really like uh, party games, so Exploding Kittens, they absolutely love, which I'm... I'm fond of, but not head over heels in love with. Yeah. Um, then myself, I'm obviously more into, I guess, the strategy side of things, some of the deeper side. Uh, we do have um, a couple of people in there who love miniatures and so bring that to the group. So it's a nice sort of well-rounded group. Yeah. Um, so I try and play with them as much as possible. And also we have, obviously, with player numbers, some games require at least three people. Some require even more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's good to have that sort of baseline. Um, so... 
I always ask them to chip in. It doesn't mean that they'll necessarily influence my review because I guess ultimately at the end of the day, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's my opinion. Something... There's my, my name on it. So if someone wants to throw shade at it, you know, I'll take that and say, that's my opinion. Yeah. Uh, no one else's. But it's always good just to have someone else go, well, what about this? You uh, flip the table and... or something like that and just walk <laughs> off. <laughs> but <laughs> but so, no, yeah, you were saying. I was just going to say, so um, I guess the the way is obviously games games come in each week or every couple of weeks. Hmm. Um, but then we'll try and get everybody together at least a couple of times a month and just sit down and play these games and then obviously give them some breathing room as well it always helps to to leave it a little while because when you first crack open a box there's that initial thing of all oh, the art's really lovely yeah. or all oh, the art's not that great or and those things can color the way you then feel about the gameplay uh, which is obviously important but you know you often have to just give this breathing room to be like well okay maybe it doesn't have the best look hmm. but these mechanics are really interesting or it goes together really well in this way or oh i didn't realize that you know it actually works out in the end something that i didn't think worked ha having given some time i really appreciate the fact that they've included that now okay. um but it obviously depends from game to game i mean i mean what uh, are you what are you kind of what what do you like at the moment i mean what are you I mean, away from the job, and it must be difficult to get away from the job. Is there currently like the, the kind of the, I guess the, I guess the kind of the the board game lid that you would like to settle into, like your cat on a regular basis? Is there anything <laughs> that you kind of, I guess that you're going to say, well, I'm going to play that, and then you're like, well, I'm going to, I've been playing that quite a few times recently. Is there anything like that at the moment? Yeah, that that's actually happened quite a lot recently. So in between reviewing things for the magazine, mm. um, I've gone back to, especially over Christmas, I went back to Star Wars Destiny quite a lot. I introduced oh. quite a few people to Star Wars Destiny, which is kind of a dangerous path because you go, you're going to really <laughs> love this, but also be prepared to spend like £100 on boosters. Oh, you, feel um, like, um, you feel like Emperor Palpatine when you're doing that because you know you are, essentially you are the dark side. Yeah, and when you start like, people in Star Wars Destiny, you are seducing them down this horrendous path. <laughs> but it, it is amazing. It's a it's a really great tight game. It yeah. just flows really well. But it, it is that thing of collectible games are sort of overwhelming. I mean, I've also tried... Uh, I've never been particularly great at magic, so I'm trying to get better at magic oh. because I find it endlessly fascinating. I find it just one of those things that really, really interests me, the, the community, sort of the all the aspects, all the alternative game modes that people do, you know, yeah. where they're playing with cards only from May of 1996 or something like that. Yeah. And so I'm trying to get back into that. I've got an, uh, is it Aether Revolt deck? Um so I've been playing oh, yeah, that yeah, against yeah, a few people. Because yeah, that's the, uh, one of the latest ones that's going to come out. Yeah. So I've been trying to... Well, that's still fresh, because of course that's the other thing, is if I leave it too long, that will then be out of date, and I'll be like, well, I have this deck from like, a year or two ago, and people will be like, oh no, we're on the, the hot new thing now. Exactly. Like, you're, this, that's old and busted. This is the new hotness, and you're just like that. What? No, I've still got the, um, the arch nemesis of the podcast, Mr. Brian Wade. Is still trying to persuade me to play to play magic, and as I keep saying to him, I still haven't played magic, Brian, and you ain't gonna make me yet. But um, I mean, Destiny. Have you got quite a big collection of Destiny? I mean, um, are you you know have you gone all out with it and have got lots of booster packs and have have you got? 
multiple little decks on the go because me and, mm. me and my son play it and we spoke really recently about destiny to you know to say we're in the same boat as you matt we we both um we both kind of really really like it so where are you with your collection on it it's not massive so i've got the the ray and the kylo ren um starter decks yeah. and then i probably have about i've brought about 10 boosters something like that which is you know a fair a fair number yeah. but i do know some close friends they brought one of the you know like you find them on the web or whatever you can just buy the boxes that go to out to retailers of like a hundred boosters the tower or so. ones that and are they, about the, 80 yeah, quid they or brought one of like those sure. yeah so they're they're way more into it let's say uh but yeah i mean if i could it would be one of those things that i would be probably sinking my time and money into so it's probably a good thing that i'm being sort of forced to move on <laughs> there'd be a case of like your part your partner would come home from work and they'd go under the bed just to check what the current board game situation was and they'd be like well what, what happened to everything matt sold it it's like where's the cat gone i sold that <laughs> yeah, sold everything. where's the furniture gone where's my shoes we don't need it um, All we need is a table. There's a fridge. No, no, we, we can just store the milk outside in a plastic bag. The fridge is bag. just full of dice. <laughs> it's just like that. And, and what are you sitting on, Matt? And it's just you sitting on a massive pile of empty kind of Destiny wrappers on a slight throne built of dice. And you're just sitting there going, nothing. Don't just look away. <laughs> Leave us alone. Um, the meta game's quite interesting. I think also the... What do you think about... Um, if you've been playing it quite a lot, what do you think about the difference between playing Kylo against Ray? Um, because Ray seems to be very, very powerful person. Yeah, so I've I've been combining Ray with Leia as well because I ended up with Leia out of one of the packs, and I think Leia is a a great card. Yeah. I've been using her a lot, but I actually I tend to stick with the Kylo Ren stuff. I don't know if it's just because I have a natural tendency to to really sort of signed with baddies. I mean, not morally, um, <laughs> but I just think there's something quite appealing about playing as the bad guys when normally you see the plight of the sort of the good side. Yeah. Um, so I have been playing them quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like Ray and the Ray deck and generally the the light side tends to have the upper hand uh, yeah. when it comes to a lot of the abilities. Um, but I do, I think it's one of Kylo Ren's... Um, abilities that are activated by the dice that just deals like i think you pull a card from their hands yeah that amount of damage is dealt to one of their characters which can be devastating depending on what they have but it's not that hard to pull off as a move so i think that move is really great yeah generally i'd have to agree that i think ray and the light side generally seem to be a little bit more sort of a easy to play as yeah i mean i usually what happens is i usually play if i'm playing against my son he's usually i'm usually kylo ren and he's usually ray and um as well one of us we were lucky enough that one of my friends um andy who's getting another shout out shout out because he's a great guy he went he was the guy that went out and bought a whole pile of booster packs and he gave us basically a pile of about 50 cards that were doubles and a collection of dice as well so um <clears throat> as i say i kind of went to my son here you go have some destiny cards and he went what because it was obviously about f- f- four times the actual size of the normal kind of kind of basic kind of basic deck um which is cool is there i mean you mentioned destiny is there anything else that you're kind of you're going back to on a kind of like a regular basis at the moment between kind of ro- kind of roles 
Um, so at the moment, there's also, I think, partly helped by the fact that I've been playing the expansion uh, for review, but Mansions of Madness, the second edition of that, yeah. I've been going back to a lot. Uh, and I think it's it's just brilliant. I mean, I I really do like Lovecraft. Eldritch Horror is a, a one of my favourite games of all time. Yeah. And also the the Arkham card game, uh, Arkham Horror, the card game. Yeah. Uh, to give it its full title again, one of those things where the investment. I mean, it's classic fantasy flight, right? You just sort of go like, oh, this is really amazing, and also that's all my money for the rest of time. Exactly. <laughs> But exactly. It is really good. It's that's the pro. I mean, it, that makes it worse. If it was naff, I think like I wouldn't feel as bad because no. I'd, I'd eventually know that I was going to tail off. But it's one of those things where it got its hooks into me at the end of last year, and over Christmas, I just found myself playing it and playing it and playing it. Yeah, yeah. And into this year, I found myself playing it and playing it to the point where I'm like, oh god, I need to like play some of these new games at some point. <laughs> I just sort of want to just play more yeah. Arkham. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's see when you find a game that clicks with you, it's you know, for as I say, for me, it's um, it's it's Armada, and I've managed to control myself from buying any more ships from Armada at all because otherwise I would just go on to the, go on to um, my friendly local online web shop and just say, <laughs> right, I'll have all of these things very much and just end up with something that would kind of be similar to an actual size kind of imperial fleet. Which is which is kind of good. Um, I mean, this in terms of, of I mean, there'd be no doubt hundreds and if not thousands of people that would be kind of love to be in your position in terms of kind of like the games in general. You know, being involved in the board game industry. I mean, looking two thousand and sixteen was a fantastic year. I mean, looking back, you know, we had your size of this world we had you know we had the sad news obviously about fantasy flight and and kind of games workshop but um going forward kickstarter you know kickstarter seems to keep growing the the industry seems to keep going we actually seem to get guys i mean we've got guys um we've got games like mechs versus minions coming out which are from really big studios producing kind of high quality stuff and then I mean, what we've got the next level of Pandemic Legacy is going to be coming out as well. So, is there anything that you're kind of looking forward to yourself to maybe you'd like to kind of get to the table? I mean, Pandemic Legacy, I the the first season I still think is probably the best game I've ever played. I mean, every everybody says it, but it's sort of, <laughs> for a reason. It's just, I mean, it's it's astounding the first season. And I'm also one of those weird people that really enjoyed Seafall. I mean, I gave it an editor's choice badge in the magazine, and people. Yeah. People didn't agree with me, let's say, uh, when I put up the review online, uh, but I still I stand by it and f- still think for all its all its flaws, Seafall was something really, really special. you got to um, love the uh, armchair critics, though, isn't it? You have no right. idea how to play this game. Uh, actually, I did, and probably played it in concentrated amounts of time. So, yeah, um, Seafall was, I think, for some reason, people just didn't gel with it, or didn't think it was the best game ever or thought it was I mean, scaled it's, back. It's, it's fair enough. I mean, it, like I say, it, it has problems. It has it has big problems, let's yeah. say. And I think, obviously, the amount of hype behind it didn't help at all. It was it sort of rode in on this unconquerable wave that was Pandemic Legacy. And, I mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be Rob Davio. No. Because, I mean, he... You can tell it's made with a lot of thought, a lot of care. Um, it just, I mean, it just didn't gel with people. And that's fine. I mean, people have different interests. But 
I, I still feel like it is a heck of an achievement um, for board games. Uh, just maybe not to the same degree as the first Pandemic Legacy, but just one of those really special board games that you sort of just remember. Like I, I played it several months ago now, but I still think back to it and just think yeah. that was just a really cool experience. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like you get like three board games a year. You know what I mean? It's not like there's, here's your three board games for this year, so everybody's got the right to kind of like say, ah, bah, bah, and pitch in and get angry about stuff. There are hundreds of board games getting released every year, so if you don't like one, you can kind of, you know, move on. Similarly, if you like one an awful lot, you don't have to turn it into kind of your hill to die on, if you know what I mean. Exactly. People, you know, people will like stuff. It's one of those horrible things that people might like stuff that you don't like and vice and kind of vice vice versa. Otherwise, the world would just be, you know, a little bit more of a a bit more of a dull place. But I mean, is there anything else that you've seen? Um, well, you'll know, won't you? You'll have a list and saying, right, okay, and stuff that you can't talk about. But is there other things that you're you're kind of excited for for twenty seventeen that you've you've heard about? I'm I'm really intrigued about the Dark Souls board game actually. Yeah. Um I'm I come from the the world of video games journalism. Yes. Uh, yes. So I I encountered it while I was still in that world and then have jumped across sort of following it uh, this sort of strange transition alongside Dark Souls of all things. Um but I I backed it on Kickstarter and I'm just intrigued. I've seen it I've seen it at shows and yeah. sort of seen how it comes together but I'm really interested especially having played uh, Eric Lang's Bloodborne card game. Which is a very different game. Yeah, what did but you think? What did you think of that? I'm interested in your I, thoughts I, on that. I really, really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure at the start. I think mm. it it doesn't. The strange thing about it is it doesn't capture all of Bloodborne exactly. It's it's sort of this strange meld. It gets the combat of Bloodborne right. It yeah. has this real sort of one more hit mentality to it, where you're like, can I get in another hit uh, to obviously get these blood echoes and to to get the treasure in order to win uh can i risk that and often you find yourself just getting you know steamrolled by these monsters but i felt it did that stuff incredibly well where it's a little bit strange is in the atmosphere because i it's just a really hard thing to capture the gothic sort of oppressive nature of those games and i think the bloodborne card game doesn't necessarily do that because it's quite quick and because death death has a penalty but it's not a huge penalty yeah depending on where you're at i mean you can obviously build up lots of blood echoes and lose them but because you're forced to refresh and go back to the hunter's dream every seven cards or so yeah uh, when you've almost used up your deck it doesn't you're not going to lose a huge huge amount yeah but i do think it it really did the combat well and the way it blended sort of the if it had just been the card combat on its own it would have been like a solid enjoyable game you would probably play it once maybe twice and be like okay i've sort of had my feel i see what it's doing but where it brings in sort of the sly social deception stuff where you can, you know, you're attacking the monster and getting points, but also the the instant effect or side effect does damage to other players. Yeah, yeah. And you choose when to exploit those effects to sort of weaken your, uh, you know, your, your friends who you need to kill these monsters. You can't take them down alone. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you're trying to beat them. And then you can bring in that element I really, I mean, I love social deception, but you bring in sort of the, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I had to play this card, you know, I, I only had that left in my hand, which of course doesn't need to be true. I had absolutely but, no choice in, in kind of doing you over in this neck, in this. Yeah, all, all I had was cannons and so yeah. on. So I think it, it brings that stuff in in a way that's, it's just sort of unexpectedly brilliant. 
and it really i mean we had people playing uh with us who had never played bloodborne they had no idea what bloodborne the video game was about and they were they were as taken in as we were which i think says something about yeah you know what what eric managed to achieve with it i thought i thought it was quite just really really impressive as a design do you think that it maybe suffered because and being honest with the dark souls board game being there maybe people were expecting something that did have kind of the miniatures i mean let's face it there's a lot of people and you and me will probably personally know people that bought into the dark souls board game to get themselves a little ornstein to get themselves a little small to buy themselves a little you know to buy themselves a little sif and artorius and you know and you think people kind of went oh bloodborne excellent let's see what the minis are going to be like on that yeah i mean it it would have been nice to see because those designs are are fantastic yes. i mean from software the developer they do they do video game art like nobody else really does yeah. nowadays it's it's really really nice but uh, yeah i think i don't know it feels like a different beast to dark souls in many ways because bloodborne <laughs> obviously there's only there's one game yeah, yeah sorry accidental pun <laughs> that's okay uh, that, that's fine <laughs> but Um, bloodborne is is such a different game in terms of first of all it's on its own whereas dark souls you have the entire trilogy to pull from but bloodborne has more sort more of a sort of um i guess consistent aesthetic i mean it it goes to weird places there's sort of like alien things and like weird blobby things with eyes and all sorts but in many ways they they're sort of overcomplicated, and i think as minis they wouldn't necessarily work because you know you're not talking about war game miniatures here you're talking about board game miniatures which can be really nice but yeah are never yeah. really super high quality and i think a lot of that intricate design in bloodborne all the hair on on you know these werewolf style monsters all the the extra eyes as i say that would be lost whereas with dark souls you have that you know people sometimes criticize dark souls for essentially just being people in armor being knights but that works in miniatures because you have flat surfaces you have sort of this sheen and these smooth round edges that you can then craft quite nicely into these the minis look really nice i mean you know again you're talking about a board game not a war game yeah and although it's it's pricey it's not extravagant um some might say but you're still getting a decent quality out of it so i think that makes a big difference and i think they made the right call there I think it'll be interesting to see. What I'm interested to see is, and I've said this a couple of times now, is the mechanics. Because I am a big Dark Souls person. And there's a whole group of us that I know that we are all big Dark Souls people. And we've all backed the game. And we're interested to see kind of what happens with it. You know, what are they going to do with the mechanics? Because the main thing, as you know yourself, about Dark Souls is the mechanics. And if they don't manage to get that maybe as right, then there might be a couple of people that will be kind of disappointed, but we'll we shall um, we shall have to see. Um, anything else that you have kind of thought? You know that looks maybe a bit bit interesting as well. I haven't managed to get a copy of Gloomhaven yet, but I really <laughs> I really would like to get a copy of Gloomhaven at some point you just and, to see you see what's both. going on. You and me yeah. both. Um, yeah, I've seen. Um, I've now seen people actually. Um, starting to sell them on um, various kind of Facebook groups. And um, I think, sorry, unlike normal, where you'll get somebody saying, and here is my kind of others 
seven or seven sins kind of pledge and I'm going to ask for X amount of money for it. I think I've seen one saying, okay, I'm going to be, so here's my copy of Gloomhaven and they've said it's 300 quid they want for it. My God. And they had to run and hide <laughs> because the the comments, wow, it was like, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've been in the video game industry. You can imagine what the comments would be like when you yeah, put a post Jesus. up like a- that. Any comments <clears throat> section, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, that was kind of an interesting chat. I think the moderator came in and went, listen, if people miss the Kickstarter, then that's their kind of lookout. They should have done it at the time. If the guy wants to offer it at a price, then that's fine. So, yeah, I think... Um, I don't know if you've heard, but I believe, and you're probably more in the know than me, but I believe Gloomhaven's going to be going to a second Kickstarter campaign in order to do the reprint, which is which is interesting. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a strange one as well, because uh, Isaac Childress, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's also got plans i mean he i think originally planned to do the kickstarter for founders of gloomhaven yeah. uh, this month or next month yeah. and i guess that's obviously now being pushed back by a little ways yeah uh, but it's it, yeah it's this uh, just a really intriguing thing where he clearly has this big vision for it yeah. where you've where you've got gloomhaven which is the co-op you know legacy game essentially and then you've got founders of gloomhaven which is more of your worker placement co competitive uh, spin prequel thing yeah and it's just a it's just interesting to see people do i mean those aren't necessarily brand new f- concepts but they're sort of delivered in such a way that i haven't really seen a lot i mean no it certainly happened in the past but ha- i'd never really seen it did you uh, um did much. you see his previous work forge war <clears throat> no no i'm not familiar forge war um we we did an episode about about it way back at the beginning um, of the podcast and it is a worker placement game where you do worker placement but then the worker placement allows you to weaponize your character and then you go off in quests so it sounds quite similar to the kind of the gloomhaven kind of legends kind of worker placement kind of thing but forge wars worth forge wars a very very good game and me and colin had a lot of a lot of fun with it so it's worthwhile it's worthwhile checking out um, have you looked at Charterstone? No, it's it's sort of at the fringe of my. <laughs> I'm my sure you've got a radar. list. <laughs> yeah, you've there's got, a, there's a lot coming in, but it's it's definitely on there. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where, I mean, yeah, uh, there's so much coming up, and then obviously just things piling on. I mean, there was the Batman. I mean, we're having Toy Fair at the moment and there's, yeah. there's stuff coming up, obviously Gen Con and so on. Uh, not that far from now. Um, but there was the Bat... I mean, Monolith's working on a Batman board game yes. and there's like new versions of code names coming and yes. there's just suddenly this explosion and... Terminator I mean, board game is being announced and then... Yeah, so the, Space Goat. Yeah. Space Goat's just sort of racking up its stuff because... Evil Dead's not out yet, and they've announced Terminator. They're also doing a thing based on The Howling, yeah. uh, the Joe Dante movie, and it's, yeah, it just seems there's to one, all be going a bit mad. There's one I on mean, The Thing. I mean, did you see the G- uh, Weta have released their Kickstarter on GTA? Yeah, I actually I spoke to the Weta guys very recently. <laughs> did you? Uh, all right. Because they sent me a message, because they're in New Zealand, and they were like, oh, we can talk now, and it was about 8 o'clock in the morning, so I had to suddenly <laughs> like get all my stuff together, and 
the guy the, i mean they were lovely the team over there is absolutely lovely and yeah. they were like ah it's 10 o'clock at night over here and i was like oh it's like eight in the morning here How is this gonna which work? Was, you know it was lovely for them to speak to me because they yeah. must have so much going on oh no uh, they've had yeah. that um they've had that on the kickstarter i think there's already been comments on the kickstarter about why why aren't these guys replying to the comments and i think it's because it's like because they're probably asleep <laughs> that's why yeah but i mean that that stuff looks incredible i mean Wetter like i'm a, a film buff i mean lord of the rings i mean is yeah I one mean, of my favorite st- yeah who doesn't love lord of the rings but I mean, I, yeah i mean come on bring me bring me your fire if you don't kind of thing but yeah i mean you're as you said at the the top of the show one of the first things you had is you went out and you got lots and lots of these lord of the rings minis so i mean this must be kind of like double excitement for you at the moment <laughs> yeah and then obviously it has like anime stylings to the robots they have this yeah. sort of like weird sort of cell shaded look to them uh even though they're obviously just minis uh, but they have this real distinctive like bright colors like very 80s sort of gundam not necessarily transformers but you know this real sort of japanese style look to them with and then you have all the sponsorship on them and it just looks i mean i'm just interested i'm interested to see what it's just like riot games did with mechs and minis and it's interested to see whether with a company that does have a, a kind of obviously a production budget to put a lot of things out there before they kick off the Kickstarter campaign, what they're going to deliver, you know, and, and it looks kind of kind of really, really, really excited. Yeah, I mean, before before Riot and Next vs. Minions, I would have been quite sceptical of sort of a first time, because board games are getting so popular, you're seeing quite a lot of people yeah. jump in and sort of uh, ride the wagon, so to speak. Uh, but I mean, Riot did it the right way. They couldn't have done Mechs versus Minions any better in many ways. I mean, it's an yeah. astounding game. I, yeah. The box is very big. Maybe that's the only knock against it. But there's so much in there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the fact that they've managed to pull that off and they pulled it off with a clear sort of passion yeah. and understanding. It wasn't just oh, we have the biggest video game in the world. Like let's throw something together. Mm. It was this like we want to make a really good game and actually. I think Max versus Minions was like a limited run to begin with, like thirty thousand units or something like that. Yeah, it was um, an interesting way to do it, and the fact that they could have made more and just went to the the sellout because they didn't go through a Kickstarter campaign. No, um, which has made it interesting as to why Weta did, I guess. Which is, I guess, if you, but there's two ways that we look at it. You could look at Kickstarter being kind of an an exposure kind of thing, and if they're going to get exposure, then it's an easy way to do it. They did a countdown. They did press releases. They did, you know, they kind of almost did it the same way as you would see yeah. maybe on a, I wonder, a video yeah. game. Yeah. I'd guess it would be down to the publisher. Obviously, Riot, Riot was doing it itself and with yeah. League of Legends behind it has has this big budget. I wonder if Weta, a lot of its normal budget comes from the film studios that then ask oh, yeah. it to produce these effects. So obviously it's teamed up with Cryptozoic uh, and Matt Hyra, who's the designer of it. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that was a cryptozoic decision. Cryptozoic. Sort of say like, did they do? Was it Ghostbusters? Did they do? Am I right or wrong? Yes, I think that was cryptozoic. That was cryptozoic. Uh, I'm just, yeah. I'm sure you'd correct me and just go no, get out. Um, <laughs> I was just yeah. No, I mean it's just interest. I'm just really interested to see how that can kind of campaign campaign works out. Um, in terms of like. As I've, as I've already said, you've probably got one of the one of what, what a job that a lot of people would maybe look at and go, "This sounds absolutely awesome." I mean, is it? I take it, is it as 
it take it's not as glamorous as people kind of make probably make out in their mind. I mean, when you when you kind of are working on the magazine, and there's also the website side of things as well. I mean, is it constant kind of planning? I mean, I mean, are you are you in the process of having to kind of turn away? kind of board games that land on your desk with kind of like thank you but we can't cover it letters i mean is is that, is that where we are is there a flood of games kind of heading your way at the moment as well all the time i it's especially with kickstarter it's one of those really tough things where a lot of the stuff that comes through for understandable reasons because board games are expensive to produce mm. and you know you've got a lot of first time designers who come through and they have these amazing ideas I mean, you can have the best idea in the world, but it doesn't necessarily end up getting made for for any number of reasons. Yeah. But it's one of those things where Kickstarter campaigns in general, um, we try to be, we are, we are obviously trying to do as wide a sort of birth of the industry as we can. We want to show the, the big fantasy flight stuff yeah, and yeah. the sort of multi-million Kickstarter campaigns down to your one-man team, or one person team working away with a passion project uh that maybe is looking for you know maybe just a thousand dollars or a thousand pounds on kickstarter yeah. we want to cover all that stuff because just because it's smaller doesn't make it any less interesting or any no. uh, less important but it's really hard to sort of get the judge right and a lot of people come through and they say oh we have an announcement about a kickstarter campaign that's going to happen two months from now and it's like that's not we can't look at that because if your kickstarter campaign comes out i mean for one thing you know we we're ultimately here to um to try and tell people we're trying to tell people what they should be looking at or what they should be you know taking interest in in terms of the hobby and in terms of mechanics or concepts or themes yeah we're not here to just say here's a game go back it or here's a here's a person you should give them money yeah. That's not what we're about. I mean, reviews are in some ways a a judgment of you should buy this, you shouldn't buy this, or you should play this, you shouldn't play this. But we're not here to, like any, you know, not to blur into it, but like any good sort of publication, you have to get the balance of, of fairness in terms of here's an interesting thing, but maybe don't give it your money, you know. Maybe yeah. look at this, but yeah. it do- it doesn't necessarily deserve your money. So a lot of the Kickstarters that come through and they don't have a campaign yet, um, we won't we won't cover like as simple as that. There are there are of course exceptions. I mean, if it's from a, a big company or a proven designer, then that's interesting on its own because you know you sort of trace their career and where they're going next. So yeah, yeah. you know if Matt if Matt Leacock came out with a Kickstarter. When the Kickstarter went live, we would probably say, "Hey, go look at this." But yeah. We wouldn't say, "Matt Lee Kilk will do a Kickstarter in two months." Um, so a lot of the Kickstarter stuff, we we wait until it's at least past its target. But even then, I mean, things change, you know, an unbelievable amount before they come out, and you know, we've seen so many delays to big Kickstarter projects that it's a <laughs> yeah. really sort yeah. of hard tightrope to walk a lot of the time. Um, is that why you've got kind of like um, you've got the website there as well to kind of provide because obviously the magazine stuff like um, you know it takes time you've got to decide your articles you've got to decide what you're covering get all the content in 
and then put it out to print and that all takes time is that why the website's there to maybe pick up the kind of the smaller snippets that you want to put out kind of straight away as well is that... yeah certainly so I, obviously the website is much much quicker i mean now that we buy monthly uh, we can react a lot quicker. That was yeah. part of the reason to go bi-monthly, as well yeah. as the fact that people just wanted more. Yeah. Um, you know, but it also helps us look at things a lot quicker. And we we have news stories in the the magazine, mm. and they tend to be the bigger stuff. But uh, yeah, you're right. The smaller, you know, the website you can put up a smaller story that's like, oh hey, just check this out, or here's a small thing that mm. might deserve your interest. Um, and then. As you say, for the magazine, we really concentrate on those deep dives. When when there's something tangible, when when there's like a concept that's been set in stone or a design that's been set in stone, we can talk to the designer and say, why did you do this? Or how did you do this? And that's that's what we sort of really want to capture with the magazine is not just looking at the games and how they play, but also the people that make them, the people that play them. And, you know, this, as I say, sort of, all all across the industry but also on every level from sort of the complete game on the shelf and the people that that sell the games down to you know here's the the conception of a game here's how an idea gets turned into a working game yeah because especially with kickstarter you know people don't necessarily understand it's it's getting better and better as kickstarter gets older no no, Um, and, and people use it more but people still get and you know, I'm not saying it's wrong, but people still get very upset if something's delayed yeah. or if something doesn't turn out quite as it was promised. No. And part of this is, you know, just throwing a light on how it's, you know, it's really bloody difficult at the end of the day to get a board game made. They're incredibly popular and you can sort of cite these Kickstarter projects that make millions, but they're still really, really hard. If you just have an idea and you take it to Kickstarter, you're you'll probably not get any money for it. No. You, it takes a heck of a lot of work. You There's need... a lot of production stuff that's going in. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been speaking to, well, we, I spoke to, um, well, I, I mean, recently we had the series with, Pete, with Peter Blenkern, and, you know, as you and I are both aware, he ran the Subterra campaign that went on to make, you know, in excess of £350,000. To him, that was just like, that's, I'm, that's amazing. It's kind of put me at a whole, kind of a whole nother level in case of where his funding was going to be, what he was going to be able to achieve, and what he was going to be able to do for everybody that backed him on that. And we did a series of small, kind of interviews with him on a week by week basis, as he kind of just to catch up and let people understand exactly what's going through somebody's head, because not just on a campaign that's maybe needing more publicity, which is I'm sure. A lot of people end up, you know, having to look at. But what about the ones that are kind of successful? Like, you know, like Dark Souls, for instance. I mean, they're smashing stretch goals left, right and centre. And that was the same with kind of like Subterra as well. I mean, it went through, I think, most of its stretch goals within the first 48 hours. So our discussion went from how do you think you're going to promote the game to what actually are you going to do if you reach kind of like 150k? You know, kind of where, where are you going to? Where are you kind of going to go with with that? Um, yeah, and I, I think you're right. I mean, people people need to people need to be or are slowly being more educated into how kind of like the Kickstarter kind of process will work. But there are obviously going to be people that will back that all the way, and there will be some people that will think they're 
they are paying for a pre-order and they expect the game kind of kind of next kind of next week. Um, <clears throat> I mean, do you? I mean, going forward, have you? Do you do you have you got a plan for where you're going with a magazine? I mean, are you have you had to rethink how you're covering things even in the last kind of year, um, in uh, terms of the market? So I I took over in September. Yeah. Um, from uh from Rob Berman, who was the the first editor, he set it all up and he did just an incredible job. I mean, I was a a reader before I was the editor. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was really sort of taken in by just how how upbeat. And sort of how just loving of the industry the magazine was. I mean, especially compared to, so there's not really another magazine for for board games, miniatures, RPGs, no. etc. I mean, no, no, you know that covers all of that stuff for everybody. There's not another magazine like it in the UK. And I mean, I we obviously want to continue that. And Rob did as i say just a great job of this welcoming tone i mean you can you can be into rpgs there's something for you you can be yeah, into yeah. euros there's something for you you can be into ameritrash there's something for you you know miniatures there's something for you yeah and that you know we only have so many pages and so obviously that those scales shift a little bit each time yeah but it was it's striking that balance but there's also the as i say this i i can't speak for rob um but for myself, like I say, I just find the idea of speaking to the people behind not just the games, but also, you know, people that play these games professionally at national competitions. You know, yeah. how did they how did they get into that? Why that game? Yeah. Just these these stories of people, because anyone can read the blurb on the back of a box. Anyone can read the description on Board Game Geek. Anyone can sort of you know, read inst- the instruction manual and just go, oh, here's the mechanics. Yeah, exactly. Here's how yeah, it works. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's understanding how, A, that all comes together to, like, this sounds, like, really pretentious and so on, but it's not just, you know, here's how you play the game. It's like, here's the experience. Here's how you feel as you play a game. No. You know, here's the, here's, like, the sweat that builds on your brow because, like, oh, Christ, they're turning over a card and it could be this card or, oh, God, you've got to roll these dice and you need x number of successes to pass it's those moments and the people the way people react to those the way people make those that i think is sort of most interesting um so as i say there was a a lot of that stuff already um and that's the stuff that i really want to i put a focus on and obviously there there will always be the stuff about the games themselves you know yeah looking that's partly what reviews are for looking at these games saying here's what's good here's what bad Mm -hmm. um but I think, yeah, the direction for the magazine is just this real, um, I guess, deep dive. We want to be the magazine that people come to and they go, I love this hobby. Here's a magazine that makes me love this hobby and understand this hobby even more. Yeah. And sort yeah. of appreciate what people do to bring these games to people's tabletops to to sort of, you know, just to make people happy games exist to make people happy at the end of the day i think board games more than any other perhaps any other medium exist to make people happy and to bring people together i mean the community is rather fantastic it is brilliant i mean Uh, like i say coming from video games it's it's just been amazing to see how friendly everyone is how welcoming and supportive absolutely everyone is yeah i mean i mean i mean that's why it's like i 
as I say, my when when I was kind of writing for video games as a hobby, the chances of speaking to kind of like what you would content, you know, what would you you would say would were your kind of your I guess people you respected and in some cases borderline heroes in the industry, the chances of speaking to those people were fairly slim. And I mean, in the last year, I mean, I know we I kind of joked in the green room about kind of like here's the list of all the people that we've spoken to so far and we're not wizards and this is I'm not sure what we're going to do for 2017 to kind of kind of start that off or or do better than that but I mean just the names that we've had on here and it's not like I it's like yourself I sent you a message and said do you want to come on and talk talk on the podcast and you said yeah sure there wasn't any kind of what's in it for me or what we're going to do or we're going to have to talk about exposure and here's what you can ask about and here's what you can't ask about. I mean, that's been every single person that we've had on, you know, be it kind of John Gilmore, Eduardo Baraf, all the way through to Jamie Stegmaier, Brad Talton. There was, they've all been just really, really nice people that are genuinely passionate about the their jobs and what they're involved in and being very, very kind of easy to talk to. And that's a kind of a testament, I guess, to the kind of the, the board gaming community. They just seem to be a really, really kind of nice bunch so far. <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same. No, yeah, that that's exactly it. I mean, in my, my first couple of weeks, you know, I would, I'd be like, oh, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of this now. What the fuck do I do? <laughs> um, so it's like, uh, okay, you know, let's, let's think of the games that I enjoy and, yeah. And let's let's work out from there. And it was like, you know, I got in touch with Matt Leacock and he immediately came back to me. And it was kind of, you know, this continuous attempt not to, to sort of gush and be like, oh, my God, I love Pandemic. Oh, my God, you know, you have my name. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> you just didn't want to go, I love you. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, like, you sort of have to, awesome. you know, <laughs> kind of like I'm a professional journalist, man, so I have to sort of play it cool <laughs> and be like, you know. You have to you go. Know, can I send you some questions for this magazine and all of these sorts of things? Uh, provide some assets for my for my uh, publication. Um, but at <laughs> the same like time, talk, you, you, you put on that accent time, at the same time. Then Jack, the professional yeah. voice. Somebody comes over and says, "Matt, Matt, you just wrote your awesome, 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 awesome fifteen times and attached a big picture saying you're very awesome. Do you want to put on the proper text?" <laughs> Exactly. But at the same time, you know, I the reason I do this is because I, I love board games. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't. Uh, I don't think I'd have this job if I didn't. I would hope I wouldn't have this job, in all honesty, yeah. um, if I didn't love them to bits and just think they're the best thing going. And so it is, it is just sort of containing, you know, I, I have to be professional. I have to, to talk to people and, and find out things. But I think there's a lot more sort of warmth in the world of board games. I mean, you know, to name drop people. So Matt Leacock, like Alan R. Moon, I went to and it was like, the ticket to ride is incredible. I think this was when Rails and Sales was coming out. Yeah, uh, so yeah. we were talking to him about that. But again, he just came straight back to me. He sent me a picture of him stood on a train. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's incredible. Uh, and just everybody I've gone out to, I've never, I've had some people say, oh, I'm really sorry, I can't do it. But yeah. I... I think very, very rarely have I had no response or I don't think I've ever had a rude reply from anyone. And it's the same, as you say, it's the same with all the writers. I mean, I have to give just a bucket of credit to the other writers on the magazine, Mm. both the ones who have written in the past, who I read, uh, and the ones who I'm working with now, who I also get the pleasure to read. Um, But there are just 
such amazing writers and they just are so passionate and so uh, i guess obsessed with just digging out the corners of the industry and looking at these fantastic stories and just yeah talking to equally fantastic designers and publishers and together it just makes for what i would hope is just a lovely great big hug of a magazine where you read it and just feel good you're like it's like you know if you can't have if you can't carry all your friends with you on a train or or you can't all fit in the same armchair um hopefully opening the magazine is like sort of a a gaming group yeah in paper form and you just think these people uh, maybe friends is a little bit strange in today's day and age but uh. you know these are people that i want to chat with about board games or i want to listen to talk about board games and just like yourself you know this this podcast serves as just a welcoming way for people to to come together maybe not in the same room and maybe not talking back and forth maybe it's one one way direction sometimes one way yeah. communication yeah. but it's just a a way to go I love board games. This other person loves board games. Yeah. Everybody loves board games. What a fantastic time. No, I mean, I've made, I mean, I've, I would seriously say, like, listeners and things like that, I've got, I've made a lot of friends in the last year since we started the podcast because people went, oh, that's cool. Um, do you fancy having a chat sometimes? Like, yeah, come on on. I mean, we'll speak to anybody on the podcast about any kind of game going, but it's always great to hear, like, and you're no, you're no, um, no different is the kind of the passion that is kind of that is kind of out there is you know for the for the hobby um for and i'm conscious of the time and i'm keeping you far too long and this has been that's fine keep me as long as you want <laughs> um you know for people who who for whatever reason and we never judge but they haven't um picked up the magazine or looked at the website i mean where can where's the easiest way and the best way to kind of get hold because you can get the magazines pretty much most places nowadays isn't it yeah we're we're actually international so obviously i assume most of the people listening will be uk but we are around the world we're over in the us we're even down in australia we're like up in canada uh sweden most i think a lot of europe is covered um but in the uk um you can find us in obviously all good retailers uh, but the best way I would guess is just go to the website um, yeah. to plug it. It's tabletopgaming.co.uk, and there way. you can you can obviously find find our news, which is the latest up to date stuff. But yeah. you can also you can pick up the latest issue if you just want to check out the latest issue. You can pick up a subscription if you know if you want to support us like that. That's amazing. You know, try one issue, then subscribe. Just do what you feel is best. Hopefully, you love the magazine enough to stick with it. You know, I'm not going to press you into it. I just you know i i just want to get the get the word out there and you know it's, it's like, fine it's fine you know it's no see because it is it is a good magazine it reminds me of um and i'm a i'm an old man but it does in some ways it reminds me of the um the days of kind of like edge magazine um and also things even things like kind of like your mean machines of this world and um play as well the old kind of super nintendo magazine because it's like different there's a whole lot of passion behind it there are kind of interesting articles and uh you know and it's weird to say that if you'd said to me three years ago there's going to be um there's going to be a a kind of a magazine for board games and it'd be like nah there's not 
kind of thing because it would never you know who would who would have interested in launching a, a kind of a magazine but it's doing well it seems to be growing from from kind of strength to strength um <clears throat> is there any place else else you can find you are you on the the twitters and the and the facebooks of this world as well i take it you've got pages for tabletop gaming as well yes oh so you do a better job of plugging it than i do <laughs> uh, so we we are on twitter it's at tabletop mag okay uh, is our twitter and facebook i believe is the same so it's slash tabletop okay uh, mag if you do a search um, for it yeah but again if you go to the main website you'll find us there i mean you can find me on twitter i won't even give out my handle but you can find me if you root around if you really <laughs> feel inclined have a look. it's probably not a great idea i largely post pictures of cats and badly made homemade pizzas you uh, are then 98 percent of the internet <laughs> exactly this is this is why i got a cat it was just sort of like a career move it's like well i, I have to boost my social media presence now so i best invest in a cat i kind of think uh, we now need to have at least one photograph of your cat in the mechs versus minions box it will happen it has to I'll, happen i'll send you one I, after I, this is done i might I'll consider actually in. using it as episode art <laughs> <laughs> so people will go there's a cat in a box what's that in? it's like well you can't tell if the cat is you know if the cat is happy it's playing board games or not happy it's playing board games it is in a mechs and minions kind of box um yeah i i don't think there's anything that I could well there's maybe a couple of things I can say but if you know if you want to kind of keep an eye on what we're up to um, we are also all over the internet we you can find us on Twitter at We're Not Wizards we're on Facebook at We're Not Wizards we're on Instagram at We're Not Wizards we you can find our um, website which is we're not wizards.com um, you can email us, which is magic at we're not wizards.com or .co.uk. Um, Matt, listen, thank you very, very much for taking the time out um, to speak to us. Um, thank you for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's I really appreciate kind of you, you spending the time to, to chat away. Um, there is obviously two more things that we have to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Matt? Definitely not. Definitely never wizards. never wizards. We take trees and we turn them into magical pieces of paper that have information about a fabulous hobby, but we're not wizards. <laughs> and the second thing to do is to... Um, to say goodbye to all the listeners out there so it is a goodbye from matt thanks very much for having me goodbye and it's a goodbye from me stay safe roll sixes read a magazine on the bus on the way to work for a change instead of looking at your phone but until the next time goodbye (laughs) 